Welcome to the Gospel for Life. We have four Treasure Valley pastors committed to showing that the gospel is not just for that religious part of your life, but rather it's for all of life. You never graduate from the gospel. I'm Josh Bales, pastor of the Well Church, here with Russell Herman, pastor at Cloverdale United Reformed Church, Phil Moran, pastor at Christ Presbyterian Church, and Jonathan Van Hoogen, pastor at Spring United Reformed Church. Now, if you'd like to find out more about us or catch past broadcasts or get information about our annual conference, you can find us at ReformationVoice.com. All right, welcome to the Gospel for Life. We hope that you have been enjoying this series on the Psalms. It's absolutely been delightful to us uh, to go through the hymn book or the song book of the Bible. It's one of those books that you can turn to in any season of life and find uh, communion um, with the Lord. So if you're unaware of how the psalm breaks down, uh, brothers, do one of you guys want to give us an overview of the book of Psalms real quick? Go ahead, Russ. So the book of Psalms is, is divided up into five parts, um, five books, if you will. There are some distinctions between the books. Um, there are different parts that where you have in book one, David is primarily the author. Um, book two, you have some sections that are not David, but primary David, but the use of the word of God or the name of God changes. So book one was almost entirely Lord, all caps, Yahweh, and very few references to God. Um, book two is heavy on the use of the word title or name of God, God, but very little on the, the use of the word Lord. And so you do have some distinctions between the books and their content. And book two is is a little bit more, um, I don't want to use the word negative, but um, there are a few more heavy um, psalms within book two than, than in book one. So that's and, where we're at today. We're in one yep. of the heaviest psalms today, Psalm 51. Phil, what was the context of this psalm being written? Well, this is one uh, where we don't have to speculate about the, the context at all because it, it's uh, titled um, to the choir master, a psalm of David, when Nathan the prophet went to him after he had gone in to Bathsheba. So this is um, after David's adultery with Bathsheba. And arranging, David arranged, of course, uh, not only committed adultery with Bathsheba, uh, he arranged the death of her husband, Uriah. Uh, and, uh, and of course, uh, Nathan the prophet uh, then confronted him uh, with the story about the, the, the man who had a little pet lamb that used to sit on his lap and eat out of his hand and um, but the, the wealthy man next door stole uh, his lamb and slaughtered it for his barbecue. And uh, David said, boy, tell me who this man is and I'll, I'll drag him in here uh, for justice. And, and of course, Nathan famously says, you are the man. Yeah. David has been confronted with his sin. And, and he, so the context of the psalm is David has been confronted with his sin and it, and 
it penetrated to his heart, the, this confrontation, and, and he's under conviction uh, for, for his sin. And this is his cry uh, to the Lord, Psalm 51, uh, that resulted uh, from that sin and, and his, his rightful guilt over, over that sin, his conviction before the Lord. So maybe we can start by, you know, reading the first few verses and we can comment on them and and then pick verses after that that we want to draw attention to. So here's how the psalm, here's how David starts out. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions, wash me thoroughly from my iniquity Cleanse me from my sin, for I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. Against you and you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight, so that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. So, brothers, what are some of the... uh, what do you do you see here in those first few verses? It's interesting in verses one and two, um, David works with these trios of of ideas or or concepts. He says three things about God that he talks about mercy, steadfast love, and abundant mercy or compassion. It's actually three different phrases. Um, so mercy is his grace. Um, first time that's used is in Genesis 6, after dealing with the flood. Steadfast love is God's committed um, covenant faithful love. And then abundant mercy is talking about his compassions. Um, It's more of this idea of an emotional, passionate love. But then he uses another trio. He says three things. Blot out. Wash me and cleanse me. Mm -hmm. He talks about this trio of of ways of God dealing with the sin that he's committed. Mm. But then he uses three words for the sin that he's committed. Transgression, which it means deliberate rebellious activity. Um, My iniquity, it's talking about the bentness or the crookedness of how we are as people. And then cleanse me from my sin, the idea that you missed the mark. So David, I mean, for being this heartfelt response, is very deliberate in how he's structuring the psalm um, mm-hmm. in this these trios that he introduces in verses one and two. Mm-hmm. And the psalm begins, and, and so appropriately, uh, he, he, David doesn't beat around the bush. It, it begins with a cry for mercy. And he knows that he needs mercy. Um, have mercy upon me, O God. And then he appeals to the character of God. As, you, as you've already said, Russ. But, and, I, and I think that in our cry for mercy... We appeal to the character of God. I'm getting an echo. I'm getting an echo. That's okay. You know, this is the beauty of Zoom technology at this point. So let me pick up, because um, I don't know exactly where you're going with that, brother. So I'm going to pick up in verse 
four in verse three, uh, when when David talks about his sin being against him, uh, against uh, his sin being ever before him, he says something that I think is 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 very surprising in terms of the way that the world thinks about sin. Uh, so he he possibly raped Bathsheba. At least he used his king he, his kingly power to bring her into his palace, and then he kills Uriah. And th- those are gross sins. And then he says, surprisingly, against you and you only have I sinned and done what is evil. That, brothers, I think that's a shocking statement. Does that, does that, is that supposed to be shocking? It, it, yes, it is. In, in a way, it's shocking, but in a way, not. And there really is a lesson there for us that all sin is against God. And that uh, it is God who is violated first and foremost. And, and that's a radical statement because you're, you're absolutely right. Bathsheba is violated. Certainly in the day of, in the day of me too, when we were, I think in these days we are more cognizant of power dynamics in this, in this kind of thing where a, a powerful man takes advantage of a woman who is not powerful. Um, there is, you know, we can, we can speculate all day long about how, how complicit is Bathsheba in this? But still, David is the one with the power. Yep. And she's not. And and then certainly with the murder, it's 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 nothing but murder. Yeah. When when he get, uh, gets rid of Uriah, and 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 by the way, and if you remember the story, that uh, Uriah was ex- a man of exemplary faithfulness to God. Yeah. And uh, but anyway, but David will still say. Even though, and he knows his sin. He, it's not like he's denying the sin against Bathsheba and uh, Uriah. I don't think he's doing that at all. He's recognizing that primarily the one he has violated is God. All sin is against God. Mm-hmm. And and I think very often as people, one of one of our one of the, in fact it's one of the symptoms of our sinfulness is that. rebellious humanity says, well, what does God have to do with it? I've never done anything to him. Rebellious humanity, unbelieving humanity says, well, I may have harmed my neighbor, but I've never done anything to God. There's a famous quote from uh, the the great uh, English playwright, George Bernard Shaw was once asked, did he not want to be, didn't know we had quarreled. And that's kind of a typical secular attitude, uh, unbelieving attitude. But our sin is against God. All sin is against God. That's right. I think he's dealing with primary versus secondary. I think he's talking about ultimately who is the one sinned against. Um, I don't want to make more of it than it is. he did definitely wrong Bathsheba, but as king of Israel, who he really ultimately wronged was God who had blessed him with that power, that authority, that calling, and then he abused that. And so he's feeling the weight, not just of a personal sin. Um, And then I think that's also why at the end, the Psalm turns corporate because he is the king. Mm-hmm. And so he used the position in a way that was unfit for the office. 
that was an anointing by God. And he's feeling the weight of that um, on, on a level that's beyond just an individual sin. He sinned as, as a corporate um, person mm-hmm. in addition to his individual sin. And I think that's part of what's here. And what he's saying here is, and sometimes this has been taken out of context, um, starting in verse 7, he's asking for this forgiveness. And then we read these um, words in verse 10, create in me a clean heart, renew a right spirit, cast me not away from your presence and take not your Holy Spirit. And we read that and we go, what, what? You can lose your salvation. You can lose the Holy Spirit. No, remember the context. The king that preceded him was Saul. Saul did have God's special spirit that was to guide him and direct him as king, removed from him. And David says, I don't want to be Saul. Yeah. Do not do to me what you did to Saul. Yeah. I know I deserve it. Please don't do it. Yeah. And so you have to remember this is the king writing the psalm in order to understand, I think, some of the implications of what's being written. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I love how it ends, and we're going to run out of time here, but he, he says, you know, in verse 16, for you will not delight in sacrifice, otherwise I would give it. You will not be pleased with a burnt offering. And then he says, this is what you will accept. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. And what a picture of repentance um, and that that inner heart that God desires. There's a really great book. Uh, John Bunyan wrote the acceptable sacrifice. It's a Puritan paperback on this verse. If you want to understand um, how God delights in a broken heart, and that's actually an evidence of him working in you, pick up that book. It's the acceptable sacrifice by John Bunyan. But unfortunately we're out of time there, brothers. So we will have to continue next time on the gospel for life. We'll see you. 